in the morning when you want the news you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the uh, first amendment of the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters and now the news UNLV football ended up signing seven players yesterday on early signing day. There is a second signing day in February, the normal signing day still in February. So we'll see how Barry Odom rounds out the class. But yesterday of the seven players they signed, they signed two three-star recruits, one from here, uh, Liberty High School. Liberty kid. Uh, They did get one Juco transfer, a tight end, and then the other four were not ranked uh, recruits by 24-7 sports. Seven too many at this point. The interesting part to me is the four unranked recruits. Um, because if you had told me they signed seven kids yesterday and they were, you know, all three star recruits or something like that, then I'd be like, okay, you're getting talent because you can get it right now. The unranked having four unranked high school recruits is, um, it does seem early to be taking those on. Like that feels very much like, well, you should probably be shooting for higher than that and then fall back on the right. unranked kids. If you don't get higher than that in February, we said it yesterday. Maybe Barry Odom has a good eye for talent. Yeah, maybe he thinks, knows something everyone doesn't. Thinks these kids are going to be better despite being unranked. But as I said before, anytime you're signing an, a bunch of unranked players, you're basically saying I'm better at evaluating talent than everybody else. Right. Which usually you lose that battle. We see it. We saw it in the NFL with John Gruden and Mike Mayock. They thought they were better at evaluating talent than everybody. They most definitely were not. So usually. When you go against the consensus in mass, right? It's fine. You're going to take a player here or there. You're like, oh, I think he's special. But like, if I'm curious to see what their class looks like, if we get to signing day and let's say they sign 20 kids and 12 of them are unranked high school recruits, that's probably a bad sign because that means then they, he really better know more than everyone right. else. Because then he's got to be like the best talent evaluator in the country, country at that point. But if they if they get to signing day and they sign 20 kids and and six, six of them are unranked, unranked yeah. That's if that's right. fine. We're talking about you. We're not talking about Alabama. We're talking about UNLV. You're not right. going to sign a massively great class every year. That's perfectly fine. So I'm, I'm curious to see what that total number is once we get to uh, the actual final signing day in February. Man, you know that's a great question. I need to look up if he's done anything. Cormani McLean, top uh, top five recruit. He's a five star recruit. Was committed to Miami. He did not sign with Miami yesterday. And the reporting here is that Deion Sanders in Colorado are trying to get him to decommit from Miami and sign with Colorado instead. Did we see any rankings for Deion in terms of how many he got yesterday? Uh, He did get a decent class. Uh, I believe they got a four-star recruit to come on board. They also got... If you remember when he was at Jackson State, he got the five-star recruit that yes, was going beat to Alabama. State. He that kid is or, transferring from Jackson State to, to Colorado. Colorado as well. Okay. That was probably their most significant okay. win yesterday. But they did get a four-star and a few three-stars yesterday. Also, his son, who is his quarterback, is transferring from Jackson State to Colorado. Well, as well. of course he is, because when he had his introductory press conference, he said, "Here's your quarterback." At which time, three <laughs> other quarterbacks walked out of the room and went in the portal. It's a good question. Why did it take this long for his son? I know to say exactly. He was at the introductory press conference, being called up to stand Wait, up as the quarterback. I didn't pay enough attention to this. I hope his son like took visits in the transfer portal to other Power Five schools. Was like, I don't know, Dad. Yeah, I don't know. I got to go check out some of these SEC schools before I commit to coming to you. When they were at the basketball game, he was sitting with his dad and the student section was going crazy. And I'm like, 
I'd like this kid to be in the student section, but I you know, now that he's the starting quarterback, he'll just hang out with dad. Nah, get in the student section. That's Come what on. I'm saying. I'd love to. Come I on. would have loved for him to be in the student section. I want him to be uh, putting together the beer snake right in the That's middle of right. the section. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. I'm out. The Nets blew out the Warriors 143 to 113. The Nets had 91 at halftime. Nine different players nice. scored in double figures, despite nobody having more than 23. It's about as balanced a scoring you can have. The Nets hit 64% of their threes. But here's a question for you. The Warriors are 15 and 18. They can't win on the road. Are no, they going to be okay? I, we talked about it yesterday. If he comes back, they could end up being a very, very dangerous four or five seed. And now I'm wondering if they're a four or five seed. It's a right. long way to go. I mean, it's we talked to uh, JBT yesterday. There's still a long way to go. But 91 points at halftime? That's more important. Right. That's more impressive than Eastern Illinois <laughs> beating Iowa as a thirty-six point dog. I, I still believe the Warriors are going to be okay. Uh, their seeding is probably going to be make it too difficult for them to actually win the title. But I believe they're going to be okay. It's just that's a that's a shocking result, even without Steph Curry to be that bad defensively. Yeah, really makes you look up and say, so what's going on there? By the way, the Nets, I think it's uh, they've won six of seven or maybe seven of eight. They're playing uh, a lot better recently, and the, the East so a far lot this better year, to make them contenders. The East no? so far this year is Milwaukee and Boston, and Boston. are awesome. The right. second grouping, ugh, Philly's playing better, Brooklyn's playing better. Maybe one of those, if not both teams. Maybe they can join that top tier by the time we get to the postseason and have three or four teams in the East that could legitimately win the title. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> so the Cardinals are parting ways with their general manager, Steve Kime. If you remember this story from Friday, uh, Steve Kime, their GM, took a leave of absence on Friday. Uh, but Arizona's offensive line coach, Sean Kugler, who was dismissed from the team after they played in Mexico for inappropriately touching a woman. Ouch. He put out that statement saying that there was a possible mistaken identity in his dismissal, which didn't point any fingers, but it was football scoop that pointed out Steve Kime, the GM and Sean Kluger, the offensive line coach kind of look similar. However, Ian Rappaport tweeted earlier this week, a source with direct knowledge of the situation said there was absolutely no mistaken or uncertain identity in the Mexico City incident with Kugler. Kugler was clearly and positively ID'd, including on hotel video and by eyewitnesses. So somebody with the Cardinals is telling Ian Rappaport, absolutely not. There was no mistaken identity. Didn't we call up the uh, quote unquote mugshots of he and Kime and they were Similar enough to where you're like, that could be mistaken identity. So the funny part to me was that, uh, so Ian Rappaport's tweet says he was clearly identified on hotel video and by eyewitnesses. I have two questions. Number one, how well, uh, quality is this hotel security footage? Because there's no way it's good enough to tell the difference between Steve Kime and Sean Kugler. If you look them up, they look too similar than yes, on, on a, just a security exactly video. Right. There's no chance you could tell the difference between the two. The other one is eyewitnesses. Who are the eyewitnesses? If you tell me the eyewitnesses are uh, people who work for the Cardinals, players or staff or whatever, then I would say, okay, right. they probably know the difference. If it's hotel staff, if no, it's like no chance. the somebody at the front desk, no, no way. they're going to be no. like, oh, of course, that's the same guy. And they're like, right. you bring in the other one. Oh, they're both the same guy. Yeah, that's him too. So Ian Rappaport's tweet to me screamed, this is somebody with the Cardinals who wants this to just not be a story anymore. 
and they're going to tell Ian Rappaport that, when in reality, I don't know if those are actually that reliable given how similar these two guys look. It's amazing how close they are. I'll have to look them up. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, look them up. They look, they, I mean, I'm not saying exactly, but like Tyler said, if the video's bad. And Close you enough to. Well, and you didn't, you weren't on the team, and you're like, well, we know who those guys are, then you you can't ID them. Bald, goatee, same body type. Yeah. yeah. You'd absolutely mistake one for the other. What do you think? Lamar Jackson has missed practice on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. He has now missed eight practices and two full games, by the way. Since getting hurt. Is he coming back in time for the Ravens to win the division over the Bengals? Falcons, Steelers at home, Falcons at home at Bengals. Game back right now. That actually and the might way be the, the Bengals Sunday night flex game. Oh, the last one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if there's still a game back. If there's still a game back, I'd rather watch that. I think I'd rather watch that than... The Jags and the Titans. The one, the one key difference, though, is that Bengals and Ravens, very good chance both will have clinched a playoff spot by the final game, and they're just playing for the division and who gets a wild card. Who gets a wild card, who gets a home game. Jags and Titans could very easily be winners for a in playoff game. losers going right. home. So that might make it a bit more intriguing there. But uh, you got to get Lamar Jackson back and win the division. Like, we've talked about sure. this every year. Scored three the, points last night. <laughs> the path in the NFL when you're a wild card team, you basically have to win three road games. Like, I mean, that's... Yeah, we talked about it with the Cowboys. Yeah, unless there's another wild card team that goes on a run, you've got to win three road games to go to the Super Bowl. And that is so... It's it's incredibly tough to do. You can maybe look at it and say, oh, we'll win one or two. But winning three, that's that's brutal. And especially because in the AFC, it's a really good chance you're going to have to beat Buffalo and Kansas City on the road to get there. That's a lot easier to do if you're the Bengals, or excuse me, if you're the division winner than if you're the wild Absolutely. card team. And so we'll see, but it is very important who actually wins the division there. And Lamar Jackson's injury is making a lot harder for the Ravens to hold off the Bengals. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question. By the way, speaking of the Ravens, they claim Sammy Watkins off waivers. Are they ever going to get a real wide receiver? Yeah. Like, are I'm, they ever going to get like a good one in there? Isn't uh, Beckham still out there? Is he re- is he a good wide receiver? <laughs> well, he's, not, he's not going to the Cowboys. <laughs> Jerry like, made that apparent the other day. I don't think we're going to sign him. We saw Tyree Kill, AJ Brown, and Devontae Adams all change teams in the offseason. Like like everyone knows, those three were all star wide receivers. Some teams decided we're going all in, getting that star wide receiver, and the Ravens sat it out. Drafting wise, I guess they did take Rashad Bateman, uh, who's injured right now. But like, are they going to get like they need like go get a star wide receiver? for Lamar Jackson and this offense. Like, it's a good offense, but who's he throwing to? Mark Andrews? And now Sammy Watkins? They had Hollywood Brown and got rid of him. He's not that good. He's pretty good. He's fine, but he's not Devontae Adams. He's not Tyreek Hill. He's not A.J. Brown. He could be if they just aired it out a little more. (laughs) Well, Trace McSorley might find him downfield at some point in Arizona. Happy to move on to the the next question. Aaron. Rob Gronkowski tweeted, I'm kind of bored. How is this guy bored with his life? Can you imagine this guy with the pool parties and the and the buses and, and all this guy does and all the appearances he does? How is he bored? All of his friends are athletes. They're all in their season right now. He's coming He's back. He's got friends. He's coming back, Ed. <laughs> He's got friends. Him and Brady coming to the Raiders. He's coming back. Nah, he, no, no. He, Gronkowski's going to play this perfectly. Sign with a team. 
mid to late December, play in the playoffs. I would you'd sign Gronkowski right now, wouldn't you? Your playoff team, Gronk. Yeah, I might. I mean, what uh, the, I might. The Chiefs don't need a tight end. Well, they use they do use more than one tight end set, so maybe they could. But like the Chiefs have Kelsey, the Ravens could use Bel- a second tight end despite having Mark Andrews. They don't have a good wide receiver. Just run two tight ends out there all the time. But like even even so, outside of that, who couldn't use it? I mean, is DW back? I mean, the Raiders are making. He's not signing with the Raiders. <laughs> He's going to a team that's going to play. He's not going to go to a team that's just going to get eliminated this week. Hey, they're still in this thing. Yeah. He's going to a team that's going to be in the playoffs. They're going to win this week. I need eight wins. Oh, no. Here we go. You need exactly eight wins. I need exactly eight wins. That's why that Rams game killed me. Yeah, you really need to win this week, too. Yeah. That lateral, you were probably screaming your lungs out. Honestly, I, I forget what I was doing, but I was busy during the game. I couldn't even watch it, so... So you it's need a good thing. You yeah. really need a win this week and yep. then just an upset of San Francisco or, or Kansas, Kansas City. City. You need San yep. Francisco or Kansas City to have their stuff Man. wrapped up. Sort of like the Eagles and Jeff Erickson next week saying the Niners will play nobody. Yeah. Because they, they already know though. which way they're going. They won't have it wrapped up. They'll be no. still. I'm hoping Casey has it wrapped up, but I don't think they can. You need Buffalo, I think, to lose twice between now and the final week. Yeah. Man. It's all right. They can do it. They, I mean, they can. They have. We, we've can seen this dumb team. They, they better win Saturday. Yeah, they better yes. win Saturday. Oh, honestly, they win Saturday. It's over. Honestly, Danny, Danny, they're not sweeping those last two. Honestly, lose to Pittsburgh, beat San Francisco, Kansas City. Based on what I've seen this team do this year, that's what they're <laughs> go, that's what they're about to do. They're going to lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers and get eliminated from the postseason, and then beat San Francisco and Kansas City. That's fine. That like that's what get this you team date, would man. do. What do you mean it, it's fine? It would it get get you me date. That would be the best end of the season. That'd be the most. Uh, that'd be the right way for the Raiders to end this season, right? You get eliminated by Kenny Pickett in two degree weather, and you beat two of the best teams, and in then football. you beat the two teams that end up meeting in the Super Bowl. Yes, <laughs> to end the season. <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. That, that's the Raiders. That's the entire season. Coming up next, we'll get into some UNLV basketball as they take on Southern Miss tonight. Harkless at the elbow. Out to Rodriguez, a three for Luis, is good. Rodriguez with five straight points. Rebels back out in front, 59-48. In the front court, Williams. Williams has his pass stolen by Iwako. Iwako underneath for the two-handed slam dunk. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Hey, did you see the score last night? San Francisco, Arizona State. So San Francisco, in their last three games, they beat UNLV in their undefeated run, then go and lose to Texas San Antonio, and now beat Arizona State, who was eleven and one before last night, and beat them ninety-seven to sixty. And it was like forty-one to eleven <laughs> at halftime. I think Bobby Hurley got thrown out. <laughs> How? How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> like crazy scores last night. Eastern Illinois, it's 97 to 60. San Francisco in uh, their Ken Palm rank, they were like 101 before they played UNLV. Uh, beat UNLV, jumped up to like 90 something, then lost to Texas San Antonio and fell to like 120. And after the win, after they blew out Arizona State, jumped up into the 80s. That big a jump? They, well, Arizona State was 11-1. and one. Yeah, Arizona State was like, I think, 30th in Ken Palm, like a good team in Ken Palm right. ranks, and they throttled them. 
I mean, they won the game by 37 How about points. Arizona State? Did they f- uh, no, they fell, obviously. I think they fell uh, from 22 to 37 or something okay. like that. So a decent fall, but not massive at this point. But I don't know if that San Francisco win's going to be a good or loss is going to be like, ah, oh, they lost to a good yeah. team or, oh, my God, they lost <laughs> to a team that's whatever they end up. I don't know what they're going to end up being this year because the last three games are kind of insane. For San Francisco. And by the way, San Francisco also lost to two other Mountain West teams, too. They lost to Utah uh, State and they lost Utah to New Mexico. State and New Mexico. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's it's a very bizarre team with a bizarre uh, list of results so far this season. Now, UNLV Southern Miss tonight. It's the final non-conference game of the season. Fun facts on Southern Miss. They're 11-1. and one. They have two wins over top 100 teams in Ken Palm, Vandy, and Liberty, though neither in the top 80. Uh, Southern Miss started the year 324th in Ken Palm. They're now 137th massive rise, probably going to be the biggest rise of the entire season by Ken Palm ranks. So here's a question for you. Final non-conference game of the season. How important is this game for UNLV? 137 in Ken Palm, 23 in the net. I don't know why there's such a huge difference between net and Ken Palm. Although net, I think is put out way too early. So main difference there, Ken Palm, uh, does it, so Ken Palm has preseason rankings and those are not completely phased out until about February. Once you get to February, the Ken Palm rankings are based solely on what teams have done this year. But like right now, there's still some of the preseason rankings baked in net rankings is solely about this season. So, so like Southern Miss is 11 and one and their one loss was on a buzzer beater, right? They've got a loss by one point this year. So Southern Miss is damn near an undefeated team that Nets looking at. Whereas Ken Palm is like, well, they were supposed to be 300th or something, so they're not quite as good. They're not going to be 23 in net by the end of the season. No. The question for me, though, where are they going to be in net? Because that's what's going to determine how good or well, bad of a game Well, how good or bad a loss if they would lose. Right. Because if the, here's the thing. 23, if you're top 25 in net, that's a quad one game if you're UNLV at yes. home. So if Southern Miss finishes the year at 23, this would be a quad one game for UNLV. Which would be important if they right. won it. They're, they're not going to stay at 23, but are they going to fall to 60-something, 70-something, 120-something? Because here's the other key. If they end up ranked, uh, let's say, 102nd in net at the end of the year, this is a quad three game for UNLV. Because it's at home and, and they're outside the top 100, that becomes a quad three game for UNLV. So I'm not entirely sure how important this game is because I don't know where Southern Miss ends up when this season is over. There's a chance this is a quad two game. This There's a chance this is a quad two win for UNLV, which will be helpful. There's also a chance it's a quad three game. And if you lose a quad three game, that's going to hurt you quite a bit. The San Francisco game's got a really good shot to be a quad three game this year. Having a second quad three loss on your schedule is pretty brutal. So... I'm going to say this is a very important game. I think it's an important game for them for all the reasons you just said. And, boy, if they could win, they're huge Southern Miss fans. The rest of the year. The rest of the year, huge. Because look what happened. Uh, We said this after the Dayton game. Boy, that's a really good win. Because Dayton's going to go on and be a really good team like usual. It's going to probably be in a quad one win. And look what happened to Dayton. Yeah. Uh, Southern Miss, so they're in the Sun Belt. Uh, they Ken Palm projects them to go eleven and seven in the Sun Belt. So projected to be a so good, not be, great team. At this point, that'd be twenty two, twenty three wins. Yeah, 
Um, so we'll see how good Southern Miss ends up being. But either way, if after this game's over and you're UNLV, you're hoping Southern Miss goes like oh 15 and three yeah, in the Sun not Belt. 11 and seven. Yeah, and because if they keep winning, even if it's against bad teams in the Sun Belt, if they keep winning. They're gonna stay in the top 100 in net. Like if they rip off a ridiculous, you know, 25 and six record at the end of the year, they're probably gonna be a top 100 in net, which makes it either a slightly better win or not as bad of a loss, depending on what happens here. So I actually think this is a fairly important game for UNLV. Now, something, a couple things I'm curious to see from Southern Miss for UNLV's defense. San Francisco hung around and ultimately won the game with that late run, but hung around in large part due to their offensive rebounding. Um, Two things UNLV ran into problems with against San Francisco. Their bigs, who UNLV switches basically every ball screen, so their bigs end up guarding guards out on the perimeter. It's been a problem in other games, but San Francisco particularly. Because they switch everything, you end up with David Mawaka, Victor Iwako out on the three-point line. And they're not rebounding the ball. They're not in position to get a bunch of rebounds. UNLV has been a pretty poor defensive rebounding team. They're 270th in defensive I rebounding. I think they rate. were that bad. The other issue they had against San Francisco was over aggressive help side and attempts to block shots where Mwaka and Iwako would go out of their way to try to contest a three or somebody else's layup. And then again, they're out of position and not there to get a rebound. Southern Miss this year, 84th in the country in offensive rebounding rate. They are not a great offense but they are a good offensive rebounding team. And I'm fascinated to see, is that a big problem for UNLV going forward? Or is that a, it's going to be a problem all year if they continue to switch everything. That's just going to be part of the scheme. But did UNLV find a way to sort of correct that and not get crushed on the offensive boards by a pretty good offensive rebounding team? The other part, Southern Miss is going to play with five shooters on the floor. They got a six, nine guy named Felipe Haas, who's shooting 58% from three this year not going to keep it hitting 58%, but they're going to put five shooters on the floor. We've talked about their defense, UNLV's defensive scheme a lot. Their help side, their midline, the pack line defense, which means you get a skip pass across the court. You're getting an open three against this defense, and Southern Miss is going to be a team that's going to have the players on the court to take advantage okay, of Okay, so depending on how they played against San Francisco, would you change this up, or are you just locked into what you're, you're doing You're locked the into it, and, yeah. And that's what you do. Yeah, that's, that's just how you play, and you basically, there's two keys to it. Don't get beat off the dribble, right? If you get right, beat off the right. dribble, then they just have to kick it out from yeah. the paint. Make them throw it across the entire length of the court and have good closeouts, right? Those are the two right. keys there. Have good closeouts and don't get beat off the dribble, and you're still going to give up some, but you're not going to get torched on the open three. So they, sh- I think UNLV wins tonight because I think they're good enough defensively that even though Southern Miss has a couple of areas where they can exploit UNLV's weaknesses, I don't think Southern Miss is going to be good enough that it's a big deal. I think UNLV is going to be physically dominant over Southern Miss to the point where it's not a massive issue. All right, coming up next, Darren Millard joins the show. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Milsey Millard. Good morning, Darren. Hey, buddy. Happy holidays. Hi, Ed. Hi, buddy. How are you? Boy. I'm doing great. How are you, my friend? Hey, tomorrow uh, on Copeland Company, they're having their Festivus show. I don't know if you know what that means. Um, They allow the listeners to call in and just rip away on anybody on Lotus. Um, Oh, really? Any of the the stations, any of the shows, you can just rip. It's total Festivus. Have anything you want to say. Will you call in about Tyler? No, guaranteed. (laughs) Just do it here. You don't have to call in. in. Just do it here. (laughs) 
Well, no, no. I got to got to take advantage of the rest of us. You got to prepare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, Darren. All right. Dress it up. Dress it up. Here's here's a hyperbolic question for you that actually there might be some numbers to back it up. But Mark Stone's game last night, most dominant from an individual player in Golden Knights history? Uh, That'd be uh, impressive to say because of the uh, shots on goal and the the production. Um, Jack Eichel's hat trick uh, is in the third period to put the game away. Uh, in Buffalo, uh, comes comes to mind. Uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, games by by Max Pacioretty that uh, that I, I would lean on. But uh, it, yeah, that it, it would it would be in your top five uh, because of how much he had the puck and the way he scored different goals. He had a shorthanded breakaway earlier in the game as well, uh, and uh, and the significance of of the timing of it, uh, building on what he did against Buffalo. Uh, was was really impressive, and and the adage of of a captain being your leader in a in a crucial time of the year, and when you gotta gotta produce a win, so uh, important and impactful. Uh, you could certainly put it in in the category of a top five. I'll give you this stat for you to compare to that Jack Eichel hat trick in Buffalo. Uh, yeah. Individual high danger chances, so not while on the ice, just your the individual player. Uh, Eichel against Buffalo had three individual high danger chances. Mark Stone had eleven last night. Yeah, no, he was he was really good. The power play and and the side uh, where he did, did the power move to, towards the net and uh, uh, the uh, the shorthanded play uh, last night. Not not just the breakaway, but uh, but taking pucks away and, and and killing penalties and making it look uh, look easy. Uh, he he was he was a dominant player, uh, and uh, that that was impressive. You know what? You know what jumps out to me is, and and somebody said this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it really made me think. Uh, he he gets knocked about his skating and has, and that's why he was a sixth round pick, even though he was a world junior player and a standout uh, at that level and uh, and participant in the Memorial Cup uh, is. Have you ever seen him get caught on a breakaway? Like, uh, it doesn't happen. He, he's got he's got speed that uh, has the ability to, to turn it on and, and 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 keep players at bay. And and that's one of the things that uh, that uh, has, has been added to uh, his toolbox in in my uh, uh, just love of his game. He did almost fall before scoring the shorthanded two on one though. Yeah, but didn't. He did not. That is true. He did not, but he did almost fall just with nobody around him. So, but he didn't. You're right. And he scored, but he did almost fall. Uh, it, it was it was awesome, and uh, like the the, uh, the ability for him to do it with a new line mate too. Uh, throw that into the mix uh, with uh, with all the questions about home ice. Uh, like I just I I I love those moments uh, for athletes when they just put it on their shoulders and, and let's go, let's, uh, let, let's get it down. We've seen it at different times, March. So, and Smith and, uh, Carlson, uh, guys that, uh, that just decide we're, we're going to go my way. Uh, it just means a little bit extra when it's your captain. All right. You just mentioned it. Um, he's not doing that every night, but can he carry the first line without Eichel? Uh, well, yeah, it was the, here's the other part though. Uh, like, uh, he did. It, he did it last night, and and he's uh, he's been good the last two games. He had eight shot attempts against the Buffalo Sabers, and uh, that that 
to me was the turning point. Uh, they didn't win that game, but they 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 flipped the switch and and were really going good against that game. Uh, but uh, but his sentiment uh, will will never uh, get the credit that he deserves. But uh, the the sentiment right now, normally the winger with Jack Eichel in uh, Chandler Stevenson, is uh, really really important to that tandem on 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 his own. He's got six game point streak going right now. Uh, Ed, like that—that's quiet, right? Like nobody's talking about that part of his game. He had—he uh, had four assists in a game earlier this year. Nobody talked about that because it was overshadowed by by his teammates. Uh, Chandler Stevenson's leading this team in points. Nobody's talking about that. He's—he's uh, uh, the—he's uh, the unsung hero to to Mark Stone's. Uh, Heroic uh, performances, and and then the the uh, anticipation of Jack Eichel. So uh, Stone was was great. Can he can he uh, lead them on his own? I think that's a uh, that's a duo with Chandler Stevenson that's really important. Uh, prior to last night, in the two previous games, they got starts from Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill, and I'm curious what your thoughts were on. Bruce Cassidy, not exactly ripping his goaltenders, but calling him out a little bit in the post-game press conference saying, you know, we need one more save or you got to match what the other guy's doing. I'm curious, what are, what are your thoughts on Cassidy sort of saying that in a press conference and how do you think the goalies had actually played in those two games? Uh, I, I don't mind it, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, I think goaltenders get uh, somewhat of a pass when it comes to uh, coaches' comments uh, around uh, the National Hockey League compared to other players. Uh, we 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 tiptoe around goaltenders, uh, and and it wasn't like you said uh, a rip job. It was really accurate. You would have liked one more save. Uh, good goals can go in, and you can acknowledge. And Bruce does this. So he acknowledges they're good goals. Doesn't mean all good shots or good opportunities have to go in. Uh, you can you can uh, provide uh, a big save every now and then, and the goaltenders are, are trying their best. But uh, throw in uh, a key save at, at a critical moment, and uh, it turns the game around. That happened a lot during that thirteen and two run, uh, unmaintainable uh, both as a team and and as the goaltenders. But uh, but I appreciated the the honesty out of it and uh, and and the fact that he didn't just uh, go in there with a with a rip job show. Uh, he he was uh, he was very honest. Like we we could have used uh, one one or two more stops there, and and it would have turned the game around. And and last night uh, they they got a bit of that. He was justified and honest. It appears also with his comments on Phil Kessel. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and and. But but if you remember going into that game uh, in which he was put up to the uh, the top line with Stevenson and Stone, uh, he said we're going to try Phil on the left side over there. I don't know how much Phil has played on the left side, and so he was he was uh, letting us know that uh, that they're going to give it a shot, but this is going to be way out of position. And I don't know how much I haven't had a chance to talk to Phil about it. Uh, but uh, I mean, he's he's a, a Hall of Fame candidate uh, uh, as a right winger. So uh, I don't know how often he would have played over there, and that that's a big adjustment. So uh, I wasn't shocked that it didn't work out, not from a chemistry standpoint, uh, but just him still playing totally out of position uh, o- over there. 
Uh, and then you, you add to it where there was a couple of uh, turnovers during the game, and, and they weren't able to recover from it. And, and he, made the, uh, he made the change. So uh, he, he's a point of guy, uh, Bruce Cassidy, and, and he'll, he'll make those, those comments. But if, if you go back to before the game, uh, he also uh, couched uh, going into the game that it, it may not work just because Phil uh, had, uh, had played so little, a little over there. But they, they certainly found something. This is, this is somebody that's also playing on his offside, but, uh, but, but was uh, significantly uh, impactful. Uh, Michael Amadio was, uh, was really good last night with that unit. What's the number one Christmas tradition in the Darren Millard household? Nap. <laughs> After present. <laughs> it's, it's the number one with, uh, a very big significance and and number one, number two, and number three nap right after <laughs> present. May, I might give it half an hour. I may with the kids. I've learned to, to have a little breathing room with it. All right, Darren Millard. He'll be napping on Christmas Day. Uh, Darren, I think I appreciate it. But thanks for coming on. Thank you, buddy. Hey, hey, Tyler. Uh, all the best, and Ed, uh, I'll be over. Uh, what time does supper start on, on Christmas Day? Uh, we'll get you there at five. Okay, okay. I, I can't <laughs> wait to see you, buddy. <laughs> see you. There's Darren Millard. Uh, lock your doors at about four fifty on Christmas Day, Ed. Don't don't let him come over. Yeah, just, let him, just let him knock on the door. All right, coming up next. I honestly do not believe the reason given for why the Giants did not want to bring Carlos Correa to San Francisco. Stays the one-two pitch, a fly ball, left field and deep. Back it goes, deep it goes, and gone! Carlos Correa, there's his signature moment. Biggest swing as a twin. A go-ahead eighth inning two-run homer, and the Twins take a 4-2 lead. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. All right, here's a story from NBC Sports Bay Area. The Giants, uh, they agreed to a deal with Carlos Correa. They were going to have his press conference. They postponed it three hours beforehand. He ends up signing with the Mets like less than 24 hours later. This is from NBC Sports Bay Area. The Giants had concerns about an ankle injury Correa suffered while in the minor leagues. In 2014, when he was a 19-year-old prospect with the Houston Astros, Correa injured his leg on a slide into third base in a single-A game. The Astros later announced they'd underwent surgery on a fractured right fibula and a ligament. That is the reported reason for why the Giants flagged his physical and ultimately didn't sign Carlos Correa. He was pretty good after that. He won Rookie of the Year and the World Series, and I think he's seventh seventh all-time in postseason RBI since that. What the hell are the Giants doing? I mean, they had the medicals. I'm surprised they went back that far. You I'm, surprised, know, I'm surprised they even knew about the uh, ankle. You want to know a, a fun part about this? The current general manager of the San Francisco Giants worked for the Astros in 2014. So he knew about it? 100%. Okay, but again, he was pretty good after this. So right. this makes no sense that they would go back to 14 and say, well... You know, you broke your ankle back then. We know what you've done with your career since then, but we're still worried about that ankle from 2014. It was eight years ago. 
eight. I think they wanted out of the contract. They Absolutely. Offered There's no, if this is the real reason they got cold feet, I don't know why, but they agreed to the deal. And then for whatever reason said, oh, we don't want to I like do a this. better reason I saw on Twitter that at some point Korea said San Fran. <laughs> See that, Danny? That tweet, San Fran's like, ah, we don't want this guy. Yeah, he said, I'm happy to be in San, San Fran. Fran. And then like, they eh. changed their mind. It was like, ugh, that ankle's so. looking a little rough. Yeah, exactly, that 2014 injury. There's there's no way. You can't even say that with a straight face. I ah, he hurt his ankle in 2014. High A class game. Unbelievable. I, it, it's one of the most ridiculous things that I think I've ever seen. He literally won rookie of the year the next season yeah. in, in major yeah. league baseball. That's ridiculous. It's unbelievably ridiculous that that would be a reason given for a team to not sign Carlos Correa. Had his suit on for the press conference. Oh, that, that was the other detail from the story. On. He was dressed, ready to go for the introductory press conference before they postponed it. I... But, I 100% understand why Carlos Correa signed with the Mets like 12 hours later. Like he yeah. might as well give the Giants a middle finger. <laughs> the Mets are like, you did what in 2014? We didn't even know that happened. We don't care about that. I mean, could they? Why they would even you even care? They're like, uh, how many years ago was that? Why would you care? No, it's... you wouldn't. Look at what he's done since then. Unbe- I, I honestly do not believe it. And here's the thing. I thought. When Carlos Correa signed with the Mets, then it was going to be like, oh, Giants fans are going to hate Correa. They're going to boo him every second they get. If this is what happened, Giants fans should give Correa a standing yeah. ovation. Should be when booing he plays their own there. management. Yes. Like, this is, it's unbelievable that that could be the reasoning why they didn't sign Carlos Correa. I can't wait till Correa gets, like, a minor ankle sprain, and then Giants are like, oh, you see? Look, this is why we canceled it. He's got the weak ankle. He He rolled it. He gets not even put on the IL. He just gets lifted from a game because he rolls his ankle. And he limps off the field. Yeah, he's out for a day or two. The Giants front office is going to be like, we told you. (laughs) We knew it was coming. He's back the next day and hits a home run. It's it's one of the most incredible stories. And by the way, I don't know that he needs the shout out, but Scott Boris is Carlos Correa's agent. Right. To get a very similar deal within 24 th- hours, taking a little bit less, if money, not sooner. But to get a basically a very similar deal from another team, like 16 hours later, incredible job yeah. by an agent. Like that's why you hire Scott Boris because you think, oh, I'm signing this decade plus long deal. I'm getting 300 plus million. They don't want to do it because I had an ankle injury in 2014. All right. The Mets will do it. And that's why the stupid thing is if it was true, Boris calling them up and them having a good laugh with the Mets. Can you, Oh, can you imagine that conversation that in 2014, he hurt his (laughs) ankle. What? We'll sign him. Can you imagine Steve Cohen's response to wait a minute? You're telling me I can sign Carlos Correa because the Giants are worried about a 2014 ankle injury? Steve Cohen would be like, I don't believe you. He'd have been like, are you pranking me? Is yeah. this Scott Boris? Unbelievable. It can't, it can't be like, if you're a Giants fan right now. Oh. And this comes out, well, it did come out because it was in the story. It did come out. Like, you're like, what the hell's going right. on with our team? And this is the team that Aaron Judge was headed to San Francisco. Like, at different points this offseason, the Giants thought they had Aaron Judge and then thought they had Carlos Correa, and they have neither. 
How depressed would you be? Socks especially be after especially after last year. Especially as you said yesterday, you're dealing with the Giants. You're dealing with the Dodgers and the Padres now. You're dealing with both those teams now, just not just the Dodgers. Might as well tank at this point. Yeah. What do you what are you doing? Who's even on that team? Yastrzemski? <laughs> Lamont Wade? Like, what are you doing there? Unbelievable. Jock Peterson's there. That's right. When they Jock did the, Peterson's back. When they, he, I remember, he, he picked up his uh, option. I remember when uh, it was MLB Network was like, is this a possible Giants lineup when they thought they were getting Aaron Judge? And it was Aaron Judge, Jock Peterson. <laughs> it was like, that was your feared duo for the Giants. Incredible. I, I can't imagine being a Giants fan right now where you, you've literally thought you were signing one of Judge or Correa at different points this offseason. And you, get, and you lose both of them. And now the Mets are moving Cray to third base because they're like, what ankle? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what ankle injury? <laughs> it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Uh, I did want to ask you this. Dansby Swanson, he's going to the Cubs. So the yeah. big shortstops this offseason. Trey Turner to Philly. Uh, Swanson to the Cubs. Xander Bogarts to the Padres. And now Cray to the Mets. Uh, How disappointed are you that the Dodgers did not get one very of those shortstops? Well, hello, Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux at second. Months, no, excuse me. Gavin Lux at shortstop, the full-time shortstop. Uh, Muncy's going to have to go full-time second base. Who's playing third? Oh, Turner's gone. Got any prospects? It's got to be a prospect, yeah. Oh, Dodgers have any good ones? They always have good ones. They, they always have away. prospects. Yeah. They always have prospects. All right. I, I'm, I'm, you know where I'm at. I'm in third place. Some, you know these things. Third place, my third place. What do you mean? You're, the Giants lost Correa. Well, third place to who? Unbelievable. Rockies are on. They're coming. The Rockies, they're coming. Uh-oh. They're coming. Chris the Bryant all by himself yes, in Coors cub. Field hitting home runs with Boy, nobody around Boy, the Padres are going to run away with this thing. No, they're not. Oh, man. The Dodgers Another are collapse. too good. Another Padres collapse? The Dodgers are too good at player development and getting the best out of players to actually get run well, out. They better get the, the best division. out of Noah Syndergaard. They will. He's going to have like a 2.8 ERA. They'll be fine.